your Bibles this morning as we turn to the Gospel of Matthew again. It is our joy and our privilege to turn to Matthew's Gospel week after week and to look at what God's Word has for us as a church, as He grows us together in spirit and in number, and to call us to Himself. And just as they're making their way back to their pew, I just want to say what a privilege it is to, to teach your children, your young people, week after week on Wednesday nights as we study God's Word uh, together. It is a joy to get with them and to hear their prayer requests and their concerns and how God is working in their life. And I want to encourage you, church family, to encourage them. And uh, we've also been edifying them to encourage you as well. And maybe some of you have received thank you notes and received notes of appreciation. And uh, they want you to know that they are grateful for your investment in their lives as well. God has gifted grace with some, some just some young, young, wonderful young people who love him desire to grow in him. As we're looking into God's word this morning, our attention will be focused on verses 16 down through verses 23. So if you'll find your place in God's word, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and join me there, where Jesus will instruct us this morning regarding persecution that will be coming to his disciples. So beginning at verse 16, Jesus says this, He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you, my disciples, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Well, this ends the reading of God's word. Last week, as we gathered together, we introduced this new section here in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus is commissioning his apostles. We've seen the distinct line of demarcation where he called his choice disciples to himself and he sends them out on mission, as Matthew notes for us there in the text in verses 1 and 2, he calls them in his disciples and sends them out as apostles. Jesus is effectively making disciples, as he calls us to do as his disciples even today in 2022. The calling on my life, the calling on your life, the calling on Grace Church, our mission, our aim, our ambition is to make disciples, but it doesn't end there. We make disciples who in turn go and make disciples. And that process continues until the very last soul is reached for Christ and he decides to come and to reclaim for his his bride. Now Jesus is sending out his apostles on mission, but it is not without oversight. It is not uh, without instruction. 
or guidance. And so we saw last time together, looking in verses 5 and 6, that Jesus is sending them out and he answers all the key questions that they will have. For example, where are they to go? Look with me there in the text, verses 5 and 6. He tells them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he gives them specifications on where they are to go and where they are not to go. We also saw in verse 7, he tells them exactly what they are to say or the message that they are to preach. And he says, as you go, verse 7, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pick up the mantle of John the Baptist. Pick up the message that I have been preaching, that the Son of Man has come, the King of kings is here, and that the kingdom of God has arrived. No doubt they would have questions about how are we going to support this missions trip. Anytime you take a missions trip, right, there's the concerns of how are we going to pay for this missions trip? How are we going to get there? How are we going to eat? How are, how, what about the plane tickets and those natural, normal type of questions? But notice what he tells them in verse 8. He tells them not to worry about their provision. Verse 8, he says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper for your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staves, for a worker is worthy of his own food. Again, within the context, he's sending them to their, their home region, their friends, their relatives, the, the places, their, their neck of the woods, if you will. And he says, your focus needs to be on the mission, and your needs will be provided for. Introducing the principle there, a worker is worthy of his food. So trust me and know that where I send you, there will be people who will rise to the occasion to provide for your daily bread, which he had previously instructed them to pray for in the disciples' prayer. Trust God, your Father, who will provide all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Then he tells them what they should expect in verses 11 through 15. And he goes into extensive detail, and that is the background to our text here this morning. Now, we, we come, and he, he helps them to understand that they will be facing hostility. They will be facing those who will receive their message, but they will also come face to face with those who have jeers, who have anger or animosity to the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. They will face unbelief. And so he says, when they reject your message, don't, do not take it to heart. You are simply a messenger for me. You are my disciple, Jesus says, so shake the dust off of your feet. And this is what we find the Apostle Paul doing in Acts chapter 13, verse 51, where at Antioch he does just that when the message of the gospel is rejected. Again, we see him doing that at Corinth in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, continuing this this tradition, if you will, of when the gospel has been faithfully declared, preached, heralded, and given, that on this mission's journey, if there is a hardened heart that clinches down, doubles down, and refuses to respond to the message of grace, then move on with a clear conscience and warn them that the wrath of God is coming upon them, worse than the wrath of God that was seen that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So now as we come to our text, Jesus now gives them preparation to be on guard. 
He continues his teaching, but this is, this is where it's interesting in the text, beginning in verse 16. There's an immediate aspect where Jesus gives instruction to his disciples in the text, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, all the way down through verse 15, the short-term missions trip. But then the way Matthew puts the gospel of Matthew together, he, he includes what theologians call the already and the not yet, the tension of that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully established in its total state, if you will. That's what we find all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. We see it continuing each time someone is saved. When the Gospel is preached and people respond in repentance and faith, the kingdom of God is advancing. It's a spiritual kingdom. Here in verses 16 through 23, we see a unique foretelling. One way you could say it is, is it's what will happen throughout history. It's what will happen in things to come. It's also what has happened in the past as we see the church established and we see the advancement of the gospel going forth. What we're about to see this morning as we walk through these few verses is things to know, things not to forget, things to remember as the church of God, as the church of Christ, and to have what you could say is proper expectations. One way of understanding is this. The Christian life is more than knowing what to do. And knowing what to say, the Christian life is also knowing what to expect. And in a day in our culture and our society where we crave to have our ears tickled with, with themes of positivity and self-help messages, the church at large today is not prepared at what is coming. The church is not prepared for what will come their way if they're faithful to the gospel. That's why Jesus says in verse 17, but beware of, of men. Don't underestimate the wickedness of hardened men against the gospel message. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, this is Peter's aim as well when he says, Therefore, church, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Equip yourselves, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Or you can say it like this, with the same way of thinking. For he, Christ, who has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, for, but for the will of God. Excuse me, speaking of the born-again Christian. So friends, listen, if you're a true disciple of Christ, you're no longer loving or living for yourself or your ambitions but you're living for God. You're His disciple, as we've already seen. You're called apart for Christ, called apart for Him to dwell with Him, to abide with Him, and then to go forth in His name. And if He so desires or wills, to suffer for Him. Now that's a message we don't love to talk about, is it? isn't it? The idea of asking ourselves the rhetorical question, are you ready to be persecuted, Christian? But that is a question I want to ask you here this morning. Are you ready to be persecuted? Not are you looking for persecution. Not are you desiring to be a martyr. Not do you have a martyr's complex and are constantly being offended in those types of things. Not at all. There's a world of difference. But the question I want us to consider this morning is, are you ready to be persecuted? Because that is what Jesus is doing for his disciples. He's calling them to the challenge. And Jesus will never be accused of a bait and switch. 
much like pastors today. Pastors today so want to feel verified in their ministries and validated in their labors of love. They'll do whatever it takes to feel that affirmation, even if it means, over time, softening the message, watering down the message, but the casualty is unprepared sheep to face what is coming for them. Are you ready to lose your job? Are you ready to lose your position, whatever that position is, for Christ? Are you ready to sacrifice conveniences for Christ? Are you ready to lose access to technologies because of your stance upon the gospel? Are you willing to lose or face financial fines, as we've seen in recent news through PayPal and Venmo and other such companies, who if you cross what they say is what they think is right, they will, they will fine you up to $2,500. Do you dismiss that? Or are you aware of what's, what's taking place? And are you ready to face that? Financial fines or other types of things. Maybe it might be the re revoking of a license. Maybe you're in a professional field and you say, increasingly, I feel the stress and tension of what God has called me to do in my calling and giftedness and vocation. And yet I'm a born-again Christian. And increasingly, the requirements for my job are not in alignment with what I know. I must fear God and obey according to his word. I'm being required to say things I don't believe. I'm being required to follow through policies that are not in alignment with what Scripture says. I have to make a choice. The line is being drawn in the sand for me, you may say. So the question for us today in a world and a church that just simply desires positivity, positivity and inspiration and funny stories, and all the while they're building their foundation upon a house of sand and will not be prepared for what is what is coming? So church, again, the theme this morning for us is not alarmism, but is looking at the, the clear teaching of Scripture and as disciples of Christ, asking ourselves, are we, we willing to stand with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So here in our text, beginning in verse 16, we begin with point number one, the analogy that is given. The analogy that is rendered to the disciples. Notice what Jesus says. This is unusual, by the way. Because all throughout the scriptures, we find that wolves will invade the sheep. The, the tenor of scripture is that wolves will, will sneak in unawares. That's what we're finding in, in the book of Jude in our study of the book of Jude on Sunday evenings. But here, the wolves are not coming to the sheep. Jesus is sending the sheep to the wolves. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the middle of, or in the midst of, of wolves. Notice Notice with me the caution that Jesus gives. As he introduces verse 16, there's a transition here in the text that Matthew gives to us as well as he records what Jesus is saying. Behold, this is a key point. Listen up. You are sheep, and I am your loving shepherd, and yet I am sending you out into the midst of wolves. Don't be ignorant, as Paul would say later to the church regularly. Church, do not be ignorant, brethren, or unaware, brethren. One commentator says this, what Christ is giving the disciples here is, a, is the true and accurate theater of what our ministry, uh, the operations and the ministry that are, the way our ministry will take place in real time in a very real world. So Jesus warns his disciples in this analogy that they are taking the gospel, this message of the kingdom of God into a very, very dangerous place. 
And the reason this rings hollow or sounds unusual to our American ears is we want to be liked. We also want to be safe. We, haven't we seen that in recent weeks and months and years? Our biggest concerns, not only to be appreciated and liked, but we value safety almost above everything else in this life. Listen, Jesus does not promise you safety. Listen clearly. Jesus does not promise you safety if you are going to be his disciple. Now you say, wait a second. I thought we're in his hand and we'll never lose our salvation and and, uh, he will secure us all the way to the day of glory. Absolutely. But in gospel ministry and faithful living in the here and now, in this present passing age, Jesus does not tell us that we'll have a first class ticket on the cruise ship on our way to heaven. Now, if that's the message you want, that you desire, friends, I'm not going to give you that message this morning. But my job is to help you to know that that when God calls you to be his disciple, there will be occasions for distress or persecutions. But as we'll see in just a moment, take comfort that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this analogy that is given, he introduces two practical Middle East, if you will, there in the, the first century world illustrations of everyday life sheep and wolves sheep are perhaps the most dependent the most helpless the dumbest of all domesticated animals they are often alarmed by things that are of no consequence they attempt to run from danger and they're not even good at running from danger they are very needy and need constant Watch here. So we see the, the introduction of sheep here. This is an analogy that, that the people of God, the church of Christ, the disciples of Jesus are like sheep. And a sheep's worst predator in Palestine or in the first century world would be a wolf. And so this danger, as Jesus says, is I am sending you out into your worst danger. I'm sending you into wolf territory. But I'm the good shepherd. I will take care of you. I will watch over you. Verse, uh, John chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus says, don't be ignorant. As you go forth preaching the gospel message at times, church, as we make application for today, you will face persecution. It'll co- you can put it like this. It will cost you something, but remember this. You are not sheep who don't have a shepherd. I am your shepherd. Notice verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep. Jesus is warning them. Jesus is preparing them. Jesus is equipping them. Jesus is the model of leadership and being a teacher and equipping those of what they will face and what will come. He himself will model this very suffering in front of them and for them, securing their salvation upon the cross, and he will safely bring them home. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul reminds us as the church, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here we see this tension where Jesus tells them, I am your shepherd, I am the good shepherd, I will never leave you, I'll never abandon you, and yet I'm the one sending you forth for the work, listen here, that I have ordained for you. So that when you suffer, it's, for, it's not for nothing. <laughs> when you suffer and when you experience trials and persecution, just know this, this is my plan for you. 
Now, that's just so interesting in it because that goes so countercultural to the modern message. When we simply try to get the gospel message out, we're well-meaning. Many people are well-meaning. God loves you. Hey, did you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? No wonder they feel like this is a bait and switch when they hear this part. We begin with what we try to reduce, irreducible minimum, into the, what is the best news possible. And somehow we never get to this part. But yet when this part comes, it is distressing to shallow sheep and immature Christians who are wondering, what on earth is happening in my life? I thought if I came to Jesus, he loves me. He has a wonderful plan for me. And they interpret that as meaning all things I ever desired. All my dreams will come true. My bucket list items will be fulfilled. And it's not happening. Nowhere does Jesus say those things. Nowhere. And yet we say them. So one question we have to ask ourselves is, is, is what we're giving out, is what we're sharing in the form of the gospel, is it what we, what we find in Scripture? And the sad reality is, is Jesus would be turned out of most churches today. Jesus wouldn't be allowed to preach in most churches today. Jesus would not be allowed to teach the discipleship program of most churches today. Jesus would fail the evangelistic training program of most churches today. That's just a fact, friends. And so what we see here is that God is call, Jesus is calling his disciples for the good work that he has called for them to do. And so, friends, we see the tension of God's sovereign will for us in our present living, in this present age, as we are living faithful and godly in Christ Jesus. And when we experience persecution, we know this, as we look at our hearts, we know we weren't seeking this, but we're being faithful to the gospel, faithful to the word. Lord, this is, this is your plan for my discipleship. This is what you have planned for me. We are comforted with Matthew 28, verse 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When you're in the prison cell, behold, I'm there with you. When you're faithfully counseling a friend at work whose marriage is crumbling, I'm right there with you leading you into the truth as you open up the words of Scripture and you disciple them or, or point them to Christ and show them, listen, your marriage may not be saved, but I want to tell you about Jesus who can save your soul and give you grace for the journey. As we go about in the everyday ministry of Christ, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 16, Jesus' analogy are that sheep are exposed, as they are faithful being sent out by the shepherd Sheep are open to attack. Sheep are in danger of persecution. And you say, well, why does God work this way? You have to take that up with God. I don't know. This is his divine will. This is his divine plan. But one thing we see throughout Scripture, throughout church history, is that the more persecution that takes place, the more the church grows. If you remember in the book of Acts, God told them, he told them in the upper room that when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that they should go forth as his witnesses to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But church, let's remember our, 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 our Bible knowledge and history. Did the church do that or did the disciples do that? The answer to that is no. Jesus told them what they should do, but they did not do it. So what happened? Let's ask ourselves, how did the gospel go forth as Jesus intended it. Persecution happened. So in God's divine plan, he brings about persecution. And where the enemies of Christ think they're clamping down on the gospel and on, upon Christ, they're actually spreading the message of Christ. 
And so we see that God's purposes and his ways are beyond ours. So here's, here's our application for the first point here. Friends, be prepared. Steal yourself in truth and in scripture. Spend time in the, in the word of God and marinate in the word of God and recognize that everything in your life is geared towards you not praying and meditating and seeking God's face, hiding God's word in your heart, draining you of spiritual power. Understand that you are to deal, uh, uh, dwell deeply in God's truth and his word. Have your mind transformed by the power of the gospel and the words of Christ in the scriptures. Be faithful to that message. As you go out and minister in your neighborhood and at work, make sure that as your own mission as a disciple of Christ, make sure that what you give is sound doctrine, that you rightly divide the word of truth, that you cut the word of God straight, that you're not giving man's wisdom and your whatever, what your mom and dad said. Make sure you point people to scripture and that you're faithful to the message. And just know this, as you do that, you will at some point, as you're faithful to the, the message of truth, the message of God's word, you will lose friendships. You'll see people stop just calling you. Game night's no longer on. Pickleball is no longer, they're no longer there. And, and the, 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 the going out to eat, it just got estranged, not because you wanted it to be, but as you gave them truth, or as you begin to talk about the things of this life, things begin to change. This is what Jesus says would happen. John chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. That speaks of our day and age for sure. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, listen, you may remember that I told you these times would come. Acts chapter 14, Paul, excuse me, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we through, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So this is the analogy. We are, we are sheep. God has given us shepherds through our pastors, elders, and teachers, and others in our lives who love us in the truth. And in one sense, God has called us to shepherding work, to comfort one another in these ways. And so as we get together and as we and our hospitality evenings and share life and pray for one another. And we say, just don't understand why I'm going through this difficult time. If we diagnose and discern because it's being, you're being faithful to the truth, let's encourage one another even the more as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ. Remembering, as Scripture says, that we through many tribulations must enter the kingdom of God. Here's, here's the point. We are spoiled rotten. But listen to me, I'm not condemning us for that in one sense in that it's God's common and good grace that we live in the land that we live in. It's not like we should be mad uh, that we're not being stoned in the streets. But at the same time, we need to recognize that every right now, all over the world, pastors may lose their lives this morning because they're preaching the pure message of the gospel. And they know, here's the thing, they know that. So what that does for me is that gives me courage. That helps me to, to whatever small thing that might get in my way today. It's no big deal in the light of that. Because there are pastors all over this world who will lose their lives this morning for being faithful to the message of the gospel, for being faithful to the preaching of Scripture. There are Christians who will lose their jobs this week around the world because 
God has ordained that they be there in those current places and those current times. But here is our task this morning, church. Number one, to pray for them. But number two, to be ready. And when our moment comes to not shrink or fall back or fail what God has called us to, we are sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus says, verse 16, beware of, of men, knowing that men at times are used to carry out these very things. Secondly, not only the analogy, but secondly, the action that Jesus tells him to be ready to do, to be ready for. We need to be cautious. So the question we could ask is this, what is the preparation that we have? What wisdom do we need? Well, verse 16 says, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Legacy Standard Version says it like this, be shrewd. The New American Standard, I believe, says it the same way, be, be shrewd. What does he mean? As disciples, as we go forth, in one sense, we're to be wise as serpents, but then on the other hand, we're to be as harmless as doves. This word wise is phronomos. It means it carries the idea of being thoughtful, being cautious, being discerning. And friends, I'll just go ahead and tell you, the only way we can do that is being led by the Spirit of God in the word of truth. To have the wisdom and the mind of Christ. Romans 12.1, presenting our bodies as a daily sacrifice to the Lord. Having our minds transformed by the word of God. And presenting the whole totality of ourselves to the Lord for his service. Fresh and anew. But more specifically, as we think about what is wise as serpents mean. This is the action we're called to fulfill. I think we get a hint of it in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. You don't have to turn there. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, if you remember, the serpent, the Bible tells us, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he comes to the woman. He comes to Eve. And he comes in a cunning way, deceptive way. He comes in a normalizing way. He comes creeping in. He comes sneaking in. And so the idea is this. Be wise. Know the tactics of the evil one. Know the truth of Scripture. Have the sword of the Spirit hidden in your heart. Be ready to know when temptation comes or testings and trials come. We can see in Matthew chapter 4 as Jesus himself undergoes this as a model for his people. And what does he do? He sees the cunning of Satan. He sees his devices. He knows the age-old 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are of this world system, and they're all perishing. But he that does the will of God abides forever. So the Lord here is telling us to operate with wisdom and foresight. Don't go about ignorantly. So how do we not do that? Again, coming back to God's word. Colossians 4, verse 5, Paul says to the church, he says, Walk, church, in wisdom towards them who are without, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we need to be cautious. We need to go forth as serpents. But then secondly, what is the action we're called to do? We're also not only to be cautious, but he calls us here to be careful, harmless as doves. Harmless here means not hurtful, injurious. In other words, our purpose as we go forth serving Christ is not an ambition to hurt, to offend for the sake of for bloodshed, for verbal ver, uh, bloodshed, if you will, or to give offense. That is not our goal or our aim or our ambition. But we go forth with a message that will save, equip, 
and help. This image of a dove being harmless speaks in Scripture of purity and of peace. So, so we have this calling to be shrewd, to be smart, not to be ignorant or foolish of Satan and his tactics and his devices or what is coming, but yet to be harmless. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Philippians 2.15, do all things without grumbling and disputing or complaining, that you may become blameless, harmless, the children of God without fault. Now notice here, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Notice how we keep coming back to Scripture, right? How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? Holding fast the word of life. Friend, the only message that we have to say is the word of life, the message of Scripture. We have nothing else to truly impart that will help a lost and dying world other than the words of Christ so that we may rejoice in the day of Christ so that we have not run in vain or labored in vain. So as we make application for our hearts and our lives and our own callings of God here this morning, here Jesus calls us to be poised, to be balanced, to be filled with his, with his Spirit. That's what we find in Ephesians chapter 5, be filled, controlled with, to the full, by the Spirit of God. Now I want us to just take an aside here and be very careful and notice what is not mentioned here. Some people would hear what Jesus is saying in this whole of this passage and say, think it, that it is a, a sign of the Spirit to be uncareful or unplanned or to give no thought. In just a sense, we'll see what Jesus' instruction is to don't worry about what you're going to say. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I, I want us to make a point here is that God means for us to plan. I just want to point out some things. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. Proverbs 16.1, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 15.1 and 2 may be more pertinent here to our purposes. A soft answer, how, how do we be as shrewd as a serpent, but yet as harmless as a dove? Maybe Proverbs 15.1 can help us. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes... We need to say the right message, but how we say it is just as important. Men, we're often making this mistake, aren't we? It's not what we say to our wives, it's how we say it. What we're saying is accurate and truthful and right, but the tone, all she's hearing is, is the tone, just to give an example. Maybe we may be right in our stance or whatever, but instead of giving it in such a way that lights kerosene and fire and puts it together for combustion, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So as we go forth as disciples, as representatives of the Lord, we're to be careful. We're to walk carefully, wisely, shrewd, harmless. This is difficult, by the way, to do in pastoral ministry. Uh, Spurgeon, I believe, is the one who said, every shepherd is to have a voice for wolves, voice for sheep, and a voice for the lost. And the Holy Spirit's discernment to know which is what and where. A voice for the wolves, get out, you're not welcome here. A voice for the sheep, words of comfort, a message from the king. And words for, for the lost, imploring, beseeching, commanding. 
And as Christians, we need this insight. We need this help as well. Ephesians 5.15, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The analogy, number one. Secondly, the action. Number three, the aggression that we will receive. Notice what Jesus says here, verses 17 and 18. Going back to Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. But, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Here Jesus goes a step further and says, not only will you be persecuted, but you'll be persecuted in the governmental realm. You will be persecuted in the religious realm. There's no persecution like religious persecution all around the world. Here he gives two examples of this, of the aggression that they need to be prepared will come their way. Be cautious, but not fearful. Be wise, not unwise. As we experience and face these battles. In fact, if you look ahead to verse 28 of Matthew chapter 10, he gets to the heart of the matter when he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. I will tell you who to fear, but rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So here he tells them aggression and violence, imprisonment, Injustice is coming your way as you live faithfully to the gospel of Christ. But know that it's coming. And know that this is for my sake. And know that it is a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Here we see in verse 28 that when we nail down the fear of God, it, it solves every other fear of our lives. What is your fear this morning? What do you fear the most? If you're not careful, look into the hidden man of your heart. Look into those things that you fear, and you will find that in what you fear the most is what you are controlled by the most. And that is why Jesus says, do not fear those or that, you could say, just by way of analogy, in personal things like diseases or circumstances, things that we fear may happen. Listen, more than that, you need to fear me, God says. Fear him who has power over both soul and body. So the fear of God is the antidote to the fear of man. The fear of God removes all lesser secondary fears. Proverbs 14, verse 16, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is self-confident. Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man brings a trap. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Whoever fears and trusts in the Lord, their, their confidence, their trust is well-placed, well-secured. Jesus wants his disciples to know that they will face, maybe not now on this trip, but just know that it's coming. Now, as Jesus prepares his disciples, listen, chart their journeys. Chart Peter's journey. Chart Andrew's journey. Chart James's journey. Chart John's journey. All of them will suffer persecution, imprisonment, and ultimately martyrdom for the cause 
of Christ. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, just know this. It hated me before it hated you. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Jesus says, just know this. It's not about you. <laughs> the world hated me long before it ever hated you. But just know this. I'm with you always. I will give you all the grace you need. And I will bring you safely home to glory. John 16, 33. In this world. Listen, here's, here's the thing. We, we think our hopes will be fulfilled in this world. We're looking for our dreams and our ambitions and our callings in life to be met in this world. And in one sense, as God calls us and equips us, there's a sense to where he, he certainly ordains us to do things. But this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. So, so we're looking forward. We, we live with eternity in view. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So why are you surprised when it happens? Or better yet, disciples, as I'm sending you out, don't be surprised. I'm preparing you. And listen, confidence comes. Confidence in the message. Confidence in the mission. Confidence in the calling of God comes when we're prepared and supported. And here, he's preparing them and he's supporting them. And so they're confident. In the book of Acts, they turn the world upside down. Look, look at these unlearned men, how bold they are. Why are they so bold? We didn't give them a degree. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They're bold because they're supported, equipped as they go forth in the name of Christ. The analogy, the action, the aggression. And now notice with me verses 19 and 20, the answers that they will receive. This is where we see an interesting aspect of the text as we try to make application for us today. Some people would extend this analogy all the way to today. And in one sense, we can understand that. So I want to be careful. I'm not speaking out of both sides of our mouth. But I want to be clear as I preach this message this morning. Notice, notice what he says. He says, but when they deliver you up, speaking to his disciples in that present age, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the, Holy, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Jesus tells them, listen, if you understand the context, they don't, they don't have a complete canon of Scripture. The, the, the new te- he's going to use them to write the New Testament. So whereas we have the calling and the exhortation of the sure word of prophecy and the, the sufficient word of God that all Scripture is complete and profitable, 2 Timothy 3.16, 3, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction and righteousness, that's for us today. He, he's telling them, as I send you forth and you don't have this yet, be comforted in this, I will give you the words to speak. As you stand before kings, as you stand before synagogues, as you stand before your mom and your dad or your brother who's, who's persecuting you, be confident in this, just like he says in Matthew 28, 20, that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Here, verses 19 and 20, I will give you the answers you need. So, so lest we hear this this morning and say, well, listen, I, I, I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit uh, to help me. Well, in one sense, that's good. But the Holy Spirit is given to me and to you to lead us into the truth. The Holy Spirit is going to call to your mind today, in this age, the word of truth. The Holy Spirit is going to point you to the person and work of Christ. So this is not a license to to abstain from the study of God's word or the reading of God's word. This is where we need to understand the transition here of what he's saying to his disciples in that first century age and what is applied to us as we have the whole complete canon of Scripture. Listen, our task is knowing this, that the Holy Spirit, who is the Comforter, will give us the words of Christ, bring to our memory, bring to our remembrance what has already been put in. 
As we read and study the truth, Jesus says in John 17, 17, Father, would you sanctify them in your truth? Your word is truth. So they go out confident and prepared that they will speak the words of Christ. He will give them the message to speak. And their message will be on target. Now notice here, for it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And also notice in the, in the, the preceding verses there, he, he lets it know, be known that it is for his sake that they are delivered up to these councils and these, these kings. Church, it is part of the sovereign work of God to bring persecution in our lives so that his kingdom advances. It is part of God's work that we go through trials and tribulations so that we can be a testimony to our families in this lost and dying world that this world is not our home, but God is our God. Money is not our God, but God is our God. That our job is not our God, but He is our God. That vacations are not our God, but that He is our God. That He gives sufficient grace as we live and die and expire and live with abandon for Him and Him alone. Look simply at the life of the Apostle Paul, who was regularly, one sense, frustrated. For example, in the book of Romans, he says, I, I desired to come to you. I've been desiring to come to you for years now, but I've been in prison. It has not been the Holy Spirit's plan for me. He has superintended my life, superintended my circumstances, superintended my plans, my travels, but I desired to come to you. In the book of Philippians, Paul says this, I, I have desired to come to you, but I'm imprisoned. But the word of God, 1 Timothy, is not bound. While I am bound, the word of God is unchained. To play on words that Paul is using, while I am sidelined, God's word is never sidelined. And what, what, what Paul experiences is this. He probably never would have had the opportunity to stand before Agrippa or Caesar or Nero apart from God imprisoning him. God is working all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose for his glory and for their eternal good. In the book of Philippians, at the very end, Paul says this, I've been in prison. I've been in prison at the hand of Caesar. But church at Philippi, because of your faithful prayers and your faithful support, there are many in the house of Caesar who greet you. What does he mean by that? He means by that is that, yes, I've been street preaching, but my ministry did not end as, as I was no longer able to street preach. When I was taken to jail because of, of being faithful to the master's call, that was the master's plan. And the word of God was not stopped. Others continued the gospel ministry outside the jail, but here I am in the jail. Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 17, the Philippian jailer is saved. Paul is sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, showing the efficient grace of the gospel everywhere he goes. And churches are being birthed and planted and blessed. This is the work of our Father who is constantly calling out of every tongue, tribe, and social strata, whether they're in Caesar's household or in the jail or in the poorest parts of the earth. He's making a kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is here. Then we see number five, the atrocities that will be realized in verse 21. Now, Jesus has already prepared them for governmental persecution, religious persecution. Then as we come to verse 21... He tells them now about family persecution. And of all the persecution that we may experience, that they will experience, the worst is the betrayal of those 
within our families. He says this in verse 21. He says, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. On this final point this morning, what we find is, is be prepared as you live faithful, church, and godly in Christ Jesus. You will experience, as disciples of Christ, being faithful to the gospel message, different types of persecutions. And be prepared. If we continue to live and God tarries, others are experiencing this, have experienced this in their spheres and in their context throughout church history and even today. And particularly in the Muslim world where a Muslim or someone comes to faith in Christ, their own family will see to their death because of their, quote, betrayal of Allah. It will cost them something to be converted as a disciple of Christ. What does it cost us, guys? What does it cost me? What does it cost you? And here's the sad answer. It costs us our ease. Like, we may have to, like, mix up our, our schedule this week to go out of the way to try to meet up with someone to share Christ with them. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be snarky, but in one sense, I am. Like, when you put it in that context, it's like, what, what do I ever suffer for Christ? And the answer is nothing. But here's the point. Don't miss what I'm not saying. God has blessed me, and he's blessed you so that we are enabled and free to fulfill his kingdom. Not to grovel at what we don't experience, but to say, wow, what an inspiration that is. Not only here, but all around the, the known church today. And I'm, we're, as I read Voice of the Martyrs, and I pray for our missionaries, and I hear the frontline stories, you know, it's not so bad to, to go next door and to share the gospel to Jim again. I've been praying for him. I love him. I just don't think he's saved. So I might go to Jim again and just say, Jim, but the most that Jim might do is cuss me out. The most that Jim might do is say, I don't want to hear that right now. And our feelings will be hurt and offended. So what? So what? That, that's the most that we face. But Jesus says, be prepared. For the sake of irony and trying to make a point, in all seriousness, the persecution may come not just from the government or from religious strata, but from your own children or your own parents. But you know what? As deep as that pain is, and it's got to be the deepest. Your own spouse. Just know this. There is one who sticks closer than a brother. Let, let that pain drive you to Christ. Let that pain drive you to Christ to see your need of him. He will give you his grace that you will need. Run to him. Look to him and live. Now notice this theme of perseverance in verse 22. We'll pick up here next week. As we look at the characteristics of discipleship, true discipleship, we often will refer to the cost of discipleship, and we don't want to gloss over this, because this is what Jesus says it looks like to follow him. So in verse 22, he says this, And you will be hated for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now Peter knew what it was like to turn on Christ. In fact, Christ told him he would, didn't he? Peter experienced the lowest of the lows. And I can imagine in Peter's mind as he's being prepared to be crucified, he's experienced the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him as he preaches the gospel, seeing thousands saved. As an older man, establishing and strengthening the, the church there in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, those who are scattered abroad, we see just a wise Peter shepherding them and loving them and giving sound theology, seasoned in the faith. And as he prepares for his own crucifixion, 
I have no doubt that verse 22 is echoing through his mind when Jesus says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Here's the idea. Peter's not saving himself, but Peter knows this. I will not ever abandon Christ again. I know I'm his. I know I have his grace. I've felt the witness of his spirit as I've preached his gospel, and I will die the death he calls me to die. This is no joke, friends. And he has this assurance. In fact, legend, tradition says that Peter would not be buried, refused to be, excuse me, crucified in the manner of Christ. And both he and Andrew, remember we talked about St. Andrew's cross, like St. Andrew's Scotland, the golf course there. You see that, that blue flag with a white cross, a crisscross, like an X. They both refused, tradition says, to be, to be crucified as Jesus was. They deemed themselves unworthy. And so they were crucified upside down in a different pattern in a different way. And no doubt in the same way that he gave them the words to speak in the moment, he gave them dying grace as well. Well, friends, as we close this morning, turn back to John 15, and this will be our final word, John 15. I love scripture, and I thank God for the balm, the medicine that it is. And one reason we know that this is scripture, is that our flesh says, I'd rather preach something else. <laughs> I don't want to preach on Judas. I don't want to preach on persecution. But yet God knows what we need, doesn't he? God knows exactly what he's preparing us for. And God is preparing us for that great day when we will stand and whatever he has prepared for us. John chapter 15. I'm trying to make sure I don't lose my text here. Yes, John 15. Verse 26. Excuse me, look with me in verse 18. He says, and when the world, or if the world hates you, just know this, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When you experience this, just know this. You have the particular love of Christ set upon you. The world hates you. Be comforted in the fact that he has chosen you in his grace. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. As we close our, our message this morning, be comforted, church, that you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who will help you and guide you and give you the wisdom to know how to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Listen, and will also convict you when you are neither. When the Holy Spirit will convict you, know this, if you are his child, when you are lockjawed, not particularly a sin of action or commission, but you're silent, a sin of omission. You have that indwelling Holy Spirit, if you're truly his child, who will convict you and, and bring you to a place of repentance and then also give you the boldness to be faithful to Christ. Let's pray together.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the sure, sufficient Word of God. We are encouraged and strengthened because, Lord, no holds barred. You prepare us for what you have for us, and we see this in the pattern of your instructing the disciples. And Father, I just want to pray a prayer over grace this morning that, that just reminds us of this, Lord. Would you help us to be faithful where you have called us, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, to be a faithful witness for Christ. Would your Holy Spirit convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Would your Holy Spirit help us in the truth? And as we do have conversations with the Holy Spirit of God, bring God's word and his truth to help us as we love the lost, as we seek to be a, a light for Christ. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Lord, we are not good people. Your word tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. And in a world that says that we are fine, we are good, just follow our hearts, your word says, no, we're, we're not good. We're wicked. We're lost in our natural state. So, Father, thank you for sending Christ to live the perfect life for us, sinless, holy. Father, thank you for allowing him to die the death that is ours to die. Father, thank you for raising him three days from the grave, three days later, Lord, as he ascended to heaven. He reigns even now on high. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. It is this, Lord, that gives us comfort that you will bring us all the way home to the completion of your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.